Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. There have always been limitations on what weapons you can own in America. For example, machine guns have been federally regulated for nearly 90 years, and this is still a free country. This isn't about taking anyone's rights. It's about protecting children. It's about protecting families. It's about protecting whole communities. It's about protecting our freedoms to go to school, to a grocery store, to a church, without being shot and killed. And millions of people go to churches and go to supermarkets every day without being shot and killed. Nice to spread fear, President Biden. It's what you did last night in your speech, right? Just work to instill fear. We'd, uh, we've outlawed machine guns, actually. People still can purchase machine guns. They just go through some extra regulatory hoops, tax stamps and things of, of, of the like. Even when you're trying, you can't get it right. It's embarrassing, sir. Millions of people go to church and go to supermarkets every day without a scratch. But many of those people also show up armed. So in case anybody should want to do them harm, they can protect and defend themselves. Except, of course, when the law says, ooh, we don't allow that. We're going to be a gun-free zone. We're going to keep everything safe by taking away the right to protect and defend oneself. When Gabrielle Giffords got shot in Arizona, it is by miracles she is still alive. Not only a miracle in and of itself, but the modern technology, the science of America that was able to save her life. I have put forth many times that I doubt one could have stopped her shooting, nor the second person she shot, but maybe the third and definitely the fourth. And that while people scattered from that scene, somebody with a firearm did run towards the scene. This happened many years ago. And if somebody next to her had had a firearm, perhaps, just perhaps, the carnage could have been lessened, not stopped. Perhaps, just perhaps, if people had been able to be armed in Buffalo at that supermarket where 10 people were murdered, a supermarket picked because of gun laws and because they believed it had the highest propensity, uh, uh, highest po- uh, population density of black Americans, he wanted to kill black Americans. Well, maybe the number would have been lessened. I make no argument to the idea that keeping and bearing arms guarantees safety. I make the argument that it provides the opportunity, and that is enough. If we are unwilling to take a look at root causes and decide that the only problem is the gun, I put forth to you case study after case study that not having the gun has been the problem. Not engaging a proper look at defense and how to be a responsible citizen is the problem. And I don't force people to carry a firearm. My gosh, if you don't want to, don't. You will get no judgment from me publicly, maybe privately. Maybe privately I'll be like, man, that's the dopiest thing ever. 
you go to your church or your synagogue or your mosque unarmed, you're out of your damn mind. I said it. I meant it. I'll say it to rabbis. I'll say it to priests. You are not smart and you are not pious and you don't understand the importance of going home alive. If you say to your parishioners, if you say to your congregants, we don't have firearms here, that's crazy because that bad guy has a firearm over there. And that, Tony, is why we need to get rid of firearms. No. That's why the claim of wanting to get rid of firearms falls flat on its face. Because the law-abiding citizen may very well give theirs up. The law-abiding citizen who has their children used against them. Well, we notice you still have three guns in the house, and we're not safe with Johnny going back to you until you give up those guns. So come here and give up the guns and apologize, and then you can have your child back. Oh, that isn't going to happen? Not only is it going to happen, I can guarantee it. But it won't happen to the criminal. It won't happen to the person they criminalize. The argument of removing guns from society is the argument of the tyrant who wants to see more statistics. It is the argument of those who refuse safety and security and will not engage in rational conversation about what's happening. The person supporting the Second Amendment has never been opposed to a conversation. The person who is opposed to the Second Amendment, the person who wants to eradicate the Second Amendment is the tyrannical, is the dangerous, and is the violent. And we'll only beget more violence. This is my thesis. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. 833, got Tony. 833-468-8669. Now, I should be clear. I should be very, very clear that I don't believe that Americans who say we need to do something about guns are somehow trying to take away my rights based on that statement. I believe that that is a catchphrase used for I don't like what I'm seeing, which I'm with you. 19 children murdered in Uvalde, four people murdered in Tulsa, 10 people murdered in Buffalo, and that Tulsa shooting this is a guy who had back surgery, was in pain, and decided he didn't like what, how the doctor was treating him, so he was going to take it out on the doctor and anyone who got in his way. We should also note that he was a black man, because I'm told all mass shootings are from white people and it's just white supremacy. And I have made the argument before that when you take a look at school shootings, the vast majority are from white kids, and you take a look at shootings on the streets, and the vast majority are from black kids, you've got to ask yourselves why. Well, the shooting in Uvalde, not a white kid. The shooting in Tulsa, not a white kid. Do I now say, well, you see, that's not it. Maybe. I didn't know if it was ever it to begin with. You don't think shootings happen on the street between white people? Well, of course they do. What causes the shootings should always be the conversation. That is our question. One that might take a lot of time to solve because I don't have it yet. And while we're waiting to solve the problem, shouldn't we protect the places that need protecting, like schools and those kids in schools? This is why I say 
that while the people who say we got to do something about guns, I don't think they're actively trying to do away with the Second Amendment. I don't think they've necessarily thought it through. But the people who want to do away with guns, you can't have an AR-15, you can't have a semi-automatic. And let me be clear, they make the argument that you can't have a semi-automatic or, or worse, they don't know what a semi-automatic pistol is. This is Mondaire Jones, congressman from New York, speaking to a Fox News reporter in the hallways. You mentioned you want weapons of war out of circulation. What is a weapon of war to you? We assault weapons. Assault weapons. So is that like semi-automatic handguns and rifles? Semi-automatic weapons would qualify as assault weapons. And so does he mean a semi-automatic handgun? You mean like the one that's on my hip right now? Now, let me take a step back. There was the House Judiciary hearing yesterday. At the House Judiciary hearing, where they are going to move forward with, well, they, it got out of committee, uh, this, this gun legislation party line vote, what they're calling the Protect Our Kids Act, which, of course, it isn't. It doesn't protect our kids at all. Allow me to prove it. Representative Mondaire Jones, he's letting you know that he is willing to do whatever it takes to get rid of guns, Constitution, be good and damned. Time after time, you have chosen to put your right to kill over our right to live. But your selfishness and your indifference have not killed our hope. You have transformed it. Before, we believed that you might do what the people overwhelmingly support and help advance common sense gun violence legislation. Now we know that it is up to us to save ourselves from you. We did not choose this fight. We had our own dreams for our lives, the same as you did when you were kids, but we can't let you get away with this anymore. Enough is enough. Enough of you telling us that school shootings are a fact of life when every other country like ours has virtually ended it. Enough of you blaming mental illness and then defunding mental health care in this country. Enough of your thoughts and prayers. Enough. Enough. You will not stop us from advancing the Protecting Our Kids Act today. You will not stop us from passing it in the House next week, and you will not stop us there. If the filibuster obstructs us, we will abolish it. If the Supreme Court objects, we will expand it, and we will not rest until we have taken weapons of war out of circulation in our communities. Each and every day, we will do whatever it takes to end gun violence, whatever it takes. What we will do is not fail the children of this country the way that you have failed us. The generations of Columbine, Sandy Hook, Parkland, and Uvalde. You're the one not keeping children safe. You take away the guns by saying we'll expand the court and we'll do away with the filibuster. We'll say forget the Constitution. You say to me, Tony, he didn't say it. No, Representative Ciciline of Rhode Island said it. So spare me the bull about well, constitutional rights. Well, the gentleman not be, No, I will not yield. And I'm not going to yield for my entire five minutes, so don't ask again. Okay, Karen, settle down. The Democratic Party has told you they will do whatever it takes to get rid of guns. Tell me how the children are protected when you have elected officials who pay no attention to the law and will do anything to subvert that law to get their ideological desire. The children are protected? Who the hell are we kidding? 
and tell me how they're protected from the bad guy. We know people pick targets because they're easier targets. We know their gun-free zones are the places that people pick. You want proof of this? Oh, allow me, everybody. Don't think that I don't come prepared. Joe Biden in his address last night. According to new data just released by the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, guns are the number one killer of children in the United States of America. The number one killer more than car accidents, more than cancer. Over the last two decades, more school-age children have died from guns than on-duty police officers and active-duty military combined. Think about that. More kids than on-duty cops killed by guns. More Maybe it's because the cops have guns. Maybe it's because the soldiers have guns. Maybe... Just maybe, if the schools were hard targets, people would think twice about going there to commit these acts of violence. Now, I don't say to you that solves the problem of why somebody would want to shoot up a school. I don't have an answer. But the answer from some is, take away all the guns so they don't get the chance. And our response is, the response of free and thinking people, what do you mean all the guns? You're going to get the guns back from criminals? No, you're not. Now, you've heard that argument before, but have you ever asked yourself if it's true? No, you are not. You're not going to get them back. You will create a defenseless society. Well, Tony, in New Zealand and in Australia, they don't have these issues. I find New Zealand and Australia to be very totalitarian places. I've watched how they've acted with COVID, and I find them very Shanghai. I am unimpressed. You want me to trust in a government that has conversations like this? You mentioned you want weapons of war out of circulation. What is a weapon of war to you? Assault weapons. Assault weapons. So is that like semi-automatic handguns and rifles? Semi-automatic weapons would qualify as assault weapons. And these are things that should be banned. You almost take almost every gun off of out of people's hands. I mean, true. I mean, handguns, for example, would not qualify uh, under, under what I just described. I got I'm sorry. I got to okay. go. And off to the elevator he goes. Yes, handguns would qualify if you're talking about getting rid of semi-automatic weapons. So people who don't want you to be able to protect and defend yourself, who don't even understand what it is that they would be talking about banning, somehow think they're the ones who can keep kids safe. This is the same member of Congress who just told you, expand the court, drop the filibuster, do whatever it takes. And they think they're keeping kids safe by taking away rights. I'm sorry, that's a weird flex from pseudo-intellectual people who have never once thought this through and have never recognized that, yes, having a firearm has a value. And in New Zealand and in Australia, they see it differently. Okay. They're more than welcome to see it differently, but they don't have a Second Amendment. They don't see the value. They don't see the value. I cannot help them through it.
but I could certainly respond to my president when he says this. I respect the culture and the tradition and the concerns of lawful gun owners. At the same time, the Second Amendment, like all other rights, is not absolute. It was, just, it was Justice Scalia who wrote, and I quote, like most rights, the right Second Amendment, by the, the rights granted by the Second Amendment are not unlimited. Not unlimited. And never has been. But the right exists. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. And yet here is here are you and Congress wanting to do anything to infringe the right. Now, if you want to go about creating an amendment to the Constitution, reversing, repealing, dismissing the Second Amendment, knock yourselves out. We have systems to do these things, change amendments, repeal, add. Of course we do. But no legislation is going to do it. It's just not going to do. But leave all that to the side. Let's make sure we understand that when it comes to keeping kids safe, the people who want to do away with law-abiding citizens having firearms are the people who do children the most harm and will do children the most damage. You'll throw away the ability of parents to protect and defend. You'll throw away their constitutional rights. And you will so abuse the Constitution as to be unrecognizable. So any ideological uh, sexual fantasy you have in the future, you'll just go about doing. Call me unimpressed, Representative Jones, President Biden, political left. I'm unimpressed by the total lack of forward thinking. And I have no time, and America has no time, for people as regressive as you all. I'm Tony Katz. So we see that the jobs are through the roof, but the market's down 315. NASDAQ is down 299. Dr. Matt Will, economist, University of Indianapolis, scheduled to be with us to break this all down. And then we'll get into the whole Tesla cutting its cutting its staff, saying, hey, we're going to reduce our employees. And then you had Joe Biden today talking about the jobs numbers and going after Musk on it. Very. Can, can we have just one conversation that doesn't involve Elon Musk? Just one? Or must he be destroyed? Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. And look, I understand that families who are struggling probably don't care why the prices are up. They just want them to go down. Joe, what are you going to do to bring them down? But it's important that we understand the root of the problem so we can take steps to solve it. I've been up front with the American people from the outset that there would be a cost here at home of Putin's decision to brutally and savagely invade a sovereign nation. But as your president, I remain committed to doing everything in my power to blunt the impact on American families. Once again, blaming economic issues 
on the Putin price hike, on the invasion of Ukraine, when that is simply not the case. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. Jobs numbers came out today, and I'm as lost as you. ADP, two days ago, or just yesterday, I should say, they were like, oh, man, we're going to miss. We're going to miss by more than half. Dow Jones is predicting 299,000 jobs. We say 138,000. Damn, that's a miss. And I said, let's, well, let's wait. Hear what Bureau of Labor Statistics say. You know what Bureau of Labor Statistics says? They say 390,000. Beating what they now decided was the estimate of 328. Nothing makes sense. Dr. Matt Will joins us, economist at the University of Indianapolis. Dr. Matt Will on the Twitter box, mattwill.com. Uh, let's start with BLS number, Bureau of Labor Statistics number, versus an ADP mm-hmm. number. I don't pay attention to the ADP number because they don't have the same. Uh, you got to have, I think, one grouping of data that you got to rely on. And they've missed before. But how in the world do they explain this level of miss? And what do the BLS numbers say to you? Well, you know, Tony, it's interesting that you say that. We did miss on the upside. But you got to remember, the miss was a low ball estimate to begin with. The last 12 months average has been 550,000. So we're under the five, the twelve month average, under by one hundred and sixty thousand jobs. So, Tony, we just had low expectations. They were just really low. In fact, they were too low. This is not a good jobs report, Tony. This is a horrendous situation because we're one hundred and sixty thousand less than we've been averaging over the last twelve months. That means the recovery is slowing, Tony. And there's other data that show that it's slowing also. So. Before we get into the other data that shows it's slowing, because I did make uh, the argument uh, on the morning show that it hasn't changed the hiring situation for a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of people. When the ADP number, they say 138,000, do you have an idea of how they got to that number? Because they've now shown me on two different occasions, I can't trust them at all, but I want to make sure I understand how they make this level of mistake. How do they get it under, even if you're saying that overall we're, we're, we're going underneath and we're, we're shooting low in terms of the jobs we're creating, how do they get it so unbelievably bad? Well, because ADP is not a research company, Tony. It's a sales company. They're selling you their product, their payroll services. And I respect them, and I think they're an okay company. But they're not in the research business. You shouldn't rely on them. The number I rely on most, like you said it, be consistent in what you use. I use what's called the PMI, the Purchasing Managers Index. This is the report that comes out the first of every month. It's real time, Tony. It's not like what you heard from the Department of Labor. That's a lag. That's like three, four. I mean, it's, it's lagging. It's always a lagging indicator. Real time indicator is hiring is shrinking. For the first time since the lockdowns were lifted, the PMI shows a contracting hiring base in May. Contracting. Tony, they're, they're the real-time indicator. We so, will see that showing up in the in the coming BLS reports. So you see, talking to Dr. Matt Will, economist, University of Indianapolis, you see a, a problem with these numbers. You think this is a bad jobs report. Dig in a, a little bit and talk to me about this contraction. Okay. The, the hiring, first of all, Tony, February 2020, pre-pandemic, 152 million people were employed. This report... 151. Biden can brag all he wants. We still aren't do we aren't to pre-pandemic employment levels. So that's a big problem. Productivity down. Highest productivity decline 
in the history of our country, Tony, minus 7.3%. Participation rate down. We have not gone back to our pre-participation rate. Tony, that's why you see the labor shortage. You see 11.4 million jobs open. We, people aren't taking the jobs. It's because they're not participating in the workforce. They're not back to the workforce, Tony. People just have decided they're not going to work. So, obviously, they're doing something. I make the argument they're somehow in the gig economy. They've taken uh, to, to, to heart the words of people like Gary Vaynerchuk and, and, and others. They're in the arbitrage. They're in the flipping. They're, they're, doing, they're doing something else because they're eating. And we have also discussed the idea that many of these people are still finding ways to get dollars out of of the economy this dollars out of the economy the spending conversation takes us a little bit into foreign policy because we have 40 billion dollars that went to ukraine but that is still considered spending has has anything been said from wall street or anywhere else to the federal government of you guys got to cut this out because this inflation is never ever ever going to go away if you don't um, yeah, I mean, Wall Street, but see, Wall Street is optimistic, Tony. They believe that the Fed is doing the right thing. The Fed is doing the right thing, and I believe they are, by dumping their balance sheet, by selling all these bonds, by increasing the interest rates. So they're very optimistic for some reason. Um, and I think because Federal Reserve policy is finally in the right direction, finally. But, Tony, there's fiscal policy. We're still spending like drunken sailors. That's going to hurt inflation, and that is still going on, and Wall Street's nervous about that. So when you take a look at this and you take a look at these numbers, you don't uh, – you see a nervous Wall Street. You see a Wall Street that is also optimistic. See how opposite that is? And then you see – look at the amount of jobs that have come up, and, of course, the White House is crowing, but you also see us underneath what was a, a monthly average. So the question then comes to, that's a lot of mixed messages. What does it mean as, as an economist? How do you see what the, the, the next months port, uh, pretend for us? I mean, I know you don't like the crystal ball conversations, but the data has to tell you something. Yeah, it, it does, Dave. It does, Tony. And the data tells me that everyone on Wall Street thinks the Fed is finally doing the right thing. But is it too little too late? Because, the, like you say, what does this portend for the future? It portends a recession. It, it, you know, I've said this before. You know, I don't forecast the future, but the data looks like a recession. We still aren't at employment levels. We still aren't expanding our productivity. We're, our participation rate is still too low. We still have 11 million job openings. We're still below the 12-month average in hiring. The PMI report says we have contracted hiring last month. Contracted hiring. That's shrinking of hiring, Tony. That is recession information. When companies that are manufacturing say we are contracting, that has to tell you something. So let's I, – I, I don't disagree with you. As a matter of fact, you heard me on the anecdotal say that people are still having trouble hiring. Rick is asking a question, sent me an email, asked me a, a, a question, and it's something that we have brought up here on the show. If everything is trending inflationary, 
we have a contraction in jobs, and even though we they, they'll claim the number is up, it's actually down when you take a look at it overall in terms of over the past year, as you explained. We see no end in sight in some levels uh, of spending that won't help the inflation, and the interest rate will continue, we believe, to climb unless somehow they want to tell us that they've really got it under control now and try and sell America on the idea that this is all normal and they won't raise interest rates in this next Fed meeting, which we'll get to. But in an inflationary world, you usually see people hedging against that with things like gold and silver. But Mm -hmm. gold and silver have not gone up at all. Rick is asking this question, why is gold stagnant? I'm asking this question. Why the hell are gold and silver not shooting through the roof? You know what, Tony? People won't like to hear this answer, but if you, those are called real assets. And what we've noticed over the last 12 years of the real asset market is that they've no longer been uh, correlated with inflation. They seem to have been detached from inflation. So they may no longer be the inflation hedge they once were. I know How nobody wants to hear that, Wait, Tony. Was, you know what? seems to be. I I I I, re- I reject. I understand you're the economist and I'm the dopey radio host. What the hell are you talking about? How in the world do you? How do these things detach from each other? You just go back and look. How they do it, I don't know. I'm just giving you the data for the last 12 years. You, you know, you want to know what's been the biggest inflation hedge? This is this will scare you. Used cars, new cars, and real estate. That's where you should put your money in investing, Tony. So, first of all, I've said that about used cars. The used car I purchased in November is worth so much more now, I should have bought two. But the the idea that somehow gold is no longer the place people go is a freaking mind scramble. And the only thing that, that I could say that makes you uh, possibly right is that the price hasn't moved at all, even with all of, of this turmoil. But this turmoil doesn't necessarily, you know, you talk about the, the, the markets and you mentioned that Wall Street thinks uh, that, uh, you know, things, the, the Fed's doing the right thing. But the Dow is down uh, 280. Now it was down 300. We saw massive sell-offs in this question of a bear market uh, that was coming. I'd love for you to define uh, a bear market. The market isn't acting like all is fine. And for the first time in a while, they're acting like things aren't 100% great. They're not, Tony, and it's, that's not inconsistent the, because Wall Street believes the Fed is doing the right thing. But guess what doing the right thing means? Forcing us into a recession. That's what Wall Street also sees. Being forced into a recession is the right thing? Well, it's the only way you're going to get a handle on, on inflation. It's the only way you can get inflation under control is to increase interest rates, stop Fed printing of money, which will slow down the economy, and then we'll get back to an equilibrium. Tony, we're out of equilibrium. We're out of balance. And to get back into balance is going to be painful, hopefully short-lived, but it'll be painful. So and Wall Street sees it pain. as necessary medicine? Yes, exactly. It's your castor oil. Castor oil, castor, I don't know what the, the oil phrase that your C-A- grandma used to give you. C-A-S-T-O-R. Now, speaking of people who are taking a look at the future and they've got questions, listen to this. This is a President Biden speaking today, talking about Elon Musk, uh, talking about Tesla, cutting 10% of that workforce, saying that, you know, Elon Musk saying he sees bad things ahead. This was President Biden just earlier today. 
Elon Musk has asked, has said that he has a super bad feeling about the U.S. economy. He's laying off 10 percent. You say to Elon Musk about his feeling about the economy. Jamie Dimon has said some more things. Well, let me tell you, while Elon Musk is talking about that, Ford is increasing their investment overwhelmingly. I think Ford is increasing the investment in building new electric vehicles, 6,000 new employees, union employees, I might add, in the Midwest. Um, the former Chrysler Corporation, Stellantis, they are also making similar investments in electric vehicles. Intel is adding 20,000 new jobs for making computer chips. Um, so, uh, you know, lots of luck in this trip to the moon. I mean, I, I don't, I mean, you know. I mean, that's a statement, but he gets to throw in some points. Ford did add 6,000 jobs. Stellantis right here in Indiana, just up the road in Kokomo. It's going to be a multi-billion dollar uh, in, in investment. So is Elon Musk right or is Elon? I mean, you say that he's right, but Biden points to these two other things. Expect America to be very confused. Okay. Well, okay, first of all, I, I don't think... He, Elon Musk is correct, but not for the reason that I think you're implying. He's correct not because the recession uh, or, or shrinkage is coming, because we still have demand for cars. He's right because that next year, Volkswagen will be the largest manufacturer of electric vehicles in the world. Um, Honda, Ford, GM, they're finally competing with Tesla. It's a competition layoff, Tony. It's not a recession layoff. All right. Explain to me what the hell that means. No, he's got competition now. He's not, the, he's not the only game in town when it comes to electric vehicles. Volkswagen will make more electric vehicles next year than Tesla. So he Yeah, but, he, but you refer to it as, as a layoff competition, and I'm, and, I'm, and I'm not sure what that means. No, I'm, I mean, yeah, the layoffs are the result of competition. They're not the result of a recession. How is a because, oh, because he's selling less cars, he doesn't need as many people. Yes. Okay, that's how you see it. All right, I just want—I want to make sure I understood that. I thought maybe there was a terminology at play, and I had missed it. I—I get—I get your point, and the point is interesting. But I think that more people feel that the 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 that 2023 doesn't look good. Uh, we're not even talking about getting chips until maybe 2024, according to Intel and Nintendo. Never yeah. mind what the car manufacturers are saying about when they're going to get chips. So. Uh, you still feel that inflate that uh, recession is ahead of us, and this inflation lasts well through 2023. I'm not going to say how long it lasts. That I can't do. But I, the recession, the inflation is here for a while. A recession. The data looks like a recession is likely at this point. And but manufacturing of cars, Tony. I, I was I had dinner last night with three different people who said they have a 12 month plus back order on a new car. So it still exists. The back order is still there. Dr. Matt Will, economist, University of Indianapolis. Dr. Matt Will on the Twitter box, mattwill.com. Find him there. I appreciate you taking the time. We've got more. I'm Tony Katz. The Beavis and Butthead movie. Because nothing is in the past forever. Paramount Plus June is when we will see the movie June 23rd. I'm sorry. That's just awesome. Absolutely fantastic. Beavis and Butthead 
are on a space mission with NASA in 1998 and end up in the year 2022? And the government's trying to track them down? That's the... That's the... That's the plot. Man, I had no idea Mike Judge smoked so much weed. You didn't? No, I how would I know? What we hang yeah. out? Could, didn't you just assume though? Um, uh, no. No, but he he he's the guy behind uh King of the Hill, right? He's Hank Hill, isn't he? He is. Same people, yeah. Uh a ki- King of the Hill. The character of Bobby might be the best character in all of animation. Bobby's tremendous. And I'm talking about Roger from American Dad. I'm talking about anything Family Guy throws out, which, I mean, I hate McFarland's politics, but damn, does he make me laugh. Bobby Hill kills me. And I'm not throwing South Park in there because Cartman's on a whole different level. Ugh. Oh, I'm going to watch this. And the best is people are going to tell this story to their kids at, at dinner, and they're going to be like, who are Beavis and Butthead? And that's how you know how old you are. You're welcome. This is Tony Katz today.